You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Burnaby RCMP are looking for the driver in a fatal hit and run tonight that happened near Marine Way and Boundary Road this morning. That's where we find our Jordan Armstrong tonight. And Jordan, we should warn viewers off the top here that some of the details of what happened here will be disturbing. What have you learned? Indeed, Chris, we're told several people saw the victim's body lying on the road and tried to help. The driver who apparently hit the senior, not among them. A witness working across the street says the crash was so loud it drew everyone's attention. The noise, the bang, bang, of the shaking, and look at what would cause that and saw the lump on the road. And the lump being the person? Yeah, you couldn't identify at that point because he's really mangled. The victim knocked out of his shoes. There's no sidewalk here and no crosswalk. Bystanders and other drivers tried to help the 75-year-old man, but there was nothing they could do. The lady in the gray Mitsubishi, she was the first one. She pulled around a van and there's the body. So she, she managed, she stopped, but it really shook her up. Ross Smythe says the driver who police believe hit the pedestrian also stopped, but never helped and then took off. Oh, he stopped for a good 10 minutes, I think. He pulled over at the roadside and he was up, he was down at Greenall, and then the truck started leaving. But not before a witness snapped a grainy photo of the semi-truck and red container heading east on Marine Way towards New Westminster. RCMP have not released that photo, but officers did spend hours canvassing neighboring businesses for surveillance footage. I mean, I work here, it's pretty scary, I'm just, you know, clear day, but obviously somebody wasn't paying attention. It's not, it's not cool. Smythe is stunned by the callous disregard for human life. I think it's awful. <laughs> you, know, you stay. That's why I went out and helped. You know, you don't, you don't drive by, and yet people were, were driving by. The suspect driver is still at large tonight. Again, he was behind the wheel of a semi-truck pulling a dark red shipping container. If you were in this area, Boundary and Marine, on the Burnaby side around 11.20 this morning and perhaps have dash cam video, Burnaby RCMP would certainly like to hear from you tonight. Chris? Jordan Armstrong at Burnaby and Marine. Thank you, Jordan. Well, more changes at ICBC that could impact your insurance. Starting Monday, a variety of different driving convictions will have the potential to send your rates higher. And as Richard Zussman reports, it doesn't take a lot. If you have one of these, a cell phone to your ear or in your hand, it has long meant a distracted driving ticket. But as of Thursday, it will soon mean an increase to your optional car insurance. ICBC announcing that if you have a conviction for distracted driving from Monday onwards, as of September 1st, you will see an increase to your optional car insurance. And it's not just distracted driving. Let's have a look at the convictions that will impact your insurance. It includes criminal code offenses, impaired driving, excessive speeding, as well as distracted driving. And if you have two or more convictions of failing to stop, failing to yield, speeding and not wearing a seatbelt, you also will see an increase. But the big question is, how big will that increase be? 
So when we look at our data, so if we, again, we look back over the last three years, we see that people that have a serious driving conviction or multiple minor offenses are 20% more likely to get into a crash. And when they do get into a crash, those crashes cost more because their driving behavior is dangerous. So we're going to be pricing their optional premium increase in line with that crash risk. Good evening. All of this part of major changes coming to ICBC on September 1st. The provincial government making these changes so that good drivers pay less, bad drivers pay more. You could potentially already have one of those tickets mentioned. If you settle up that conviction before Monday, you will start with a clean slate come September 1st. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Some tough questions tonight for the Vancouver Police Department. They come from the family of a young Vancouver constable who took her own life. Nicole Chan had been on leave struggling with mental health issues when she committed suicide. Ramina Dea explains why Chan's sister feels the situation may have been compounded by relationships she had with two senior officers. If I just let you would you lie with me? Ever since she was a kid, Constable Nicole Chan wanted to serve and protect. She was just such a proud officer. She was proud of her work and she was proud of being able to basically speak out for the victims. After nine years as a proud member of the VPD, Constable Chan committed suicide in January. Jen Chan says her sister was struggling with anxiety and depression when she came forward and made a complaint to the chief in 2017 about inappropriate relationships concerning two senior officers. I believe that she felt pressured into it and she was not in a good mental state to um, basically tell them no. She felt like she couldn't say no to them. After coming forward, Constable Chan was put on stress leave for the second time, says her sister, adding that an internal investigation was launched against the two senior officers. We can't provide any information uh, about personnel issues, OPCC investigations, or professional standards investigations. And these are all due to privacy reasons. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner also not commenting because of privacy laws. But in an email to Constable Chan's family, the office states the investigation into the actions of the first officer continues. The email goes on to say the second senior member was found to have engaged in discreditable conduct and received a 15-day suspension, five days for failing to disclose to his managers a relationship, and 10 days for entering into a relationship knowing Constable Chan was in a vulnerable state mentally and emotionally. It was a joke. I didn't even know how to react, really, when I heard about that. I, I was shocked. In Jen Chan's opinion, the first officer should be fired. The second member has already resigned. Chan determined to find out the truth and whether the actions of the officers played a part in her sister's suicide. Romina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police are appealing for victims caught up in a string of unprovoked assaults to come forward. They happened near Waterfront Station last week. VPD says Stuart Schneider was arrested for randomly punching five people near the C-Bus terminal. Police say a Burnaby man was taken to hospital for assessment. Four others were treated on scene for minor injuries. Officials say Schneider, a 32-year-old Vancouver resident, remains in custody. There's a lot of uh, uh, CCTV footage in that area. 
Our officers also uh, spoke to several witnesses, um, and they're under the impression just from all the evidence that they've gathered so far that there uh, were more people that were assaulted other than the original five who have not yet contacted the police. Now, there's more tonight on that wildfire burning near Savannah, west of Kamloops. It broke out late yesterday afternoon and quickly doubled in size thanks to some gusty, dry conditions. Nadia Stewart has more on the team effort to tackle the flames and why wildfire officials believe it to be human-caused. Nearly three dozen personnel pound away at hotspots, remnants of the Sabaston Creek wildfire just west of Savannah. Focus now is on getting the 100-hectare fire under control. We are expecting cooler temperatures today and tomorrow. And conditions on Thursday are looking more favorable for those efforts, especially when compared to Wednesday's flame-fanning weather. We did see some pretty erratic and gusty winds in the evening, but they did die down later on, and the fire responded well to suppression efforts after that happened. There are nine active fires in the Kamloops Fire Center. Conditions in this region are abnormally dry, though other parts of the province are even drier, considered severe, according to this map from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. For those areas, the hope is some rain will fall soon. As for the Sabaston Creek Fire, Daryl Peters with the Skeechison Indian Band is back assessing the situation today. Crews from the band were the first on scene. Every time we just started putting it out, it seemed like the wind would change, shift, things would move around. It's believed the fire was human-caused, but Peters thinks there could have been another trigger. To me, it's from the hydro poles. It's been there, old poles. BC Hydro says the hydro poles did not spark the blaze, but one of their transmission structures was damaged by it. Power has since been restored to the 400 customers, knocked off the grid at the height of the fire. Nadia Struck, Global News. And here's another example of just how dry it is out there already. This is West Vancouver, a brush fire breaking out this afternoon near Highway 1, just east of Cypress Bowl Road. Thankfully, crews got this one under control very quickly. The cause is under investigation. And meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with the details of a special weather statement. And it's, um, yeah, I guess not what we'd expect at this time of year. That's right. So we're talking about snow, believe it or not, June 6th here, but only over higher elevations. So we're warning travelers because a lot of people have changed over, of course, to summer tires. So if you're taking any of these highways highlighted here, including the Coquihalla, the Connector, and Hope Princeton, tonight through tomorrow morning, late season snow is possible. It may warm up at around noon, so you could get out there in the afternoon. But before that, pockets of 2 to 5 centimeters of snow is possible, with a chance of up to 10 centimeters for the Coquihalla. And the scary part is, Chris, is that this snow may seem to come out of nowhere. You may be driving along on clear roads and then all of a sudden a really intense pocket uh, may come along and you it would be a complete whiteout. So best to postpone travel until the afternoon. No doubt. Well, we do call it January every now and again. <laughs> yeah. So makes sense. Thanks very much, Christy. The RCMP's top boss passing the torch today after three decades in policing. Brenda Butterworth Carr is leaving her job as head of the RCMP in B.C. for a high-level position in government. Jill Bennett was at the change of command ceremony and has more on who will replace Butterworth Carr and why it's significant. In the official ceremony, filled with tradition, there is now a new commander of the RCMP in British Columbia. 
The new commanding officer is Jennifer Strachan, taking the reins from Brenda Butterworth Carr. Strachan, originally from Vernon, has more than 30 years' experience as an officer, serving in B.C. and Ontario. She takes over a force facing several challenges. We need to be better at advocating our services to people we serve. We need to be more accountable. Strachan has already ordered a fulsome review of this video of a teen in government care being interrogated by a West Kelowna RCMP officer in 2012. The officer asks the teen if she was turned on at any point during the attack and how long she'd been sexually active, along with other questions deemed abhorrent by many. Strachan says she has been assaulted twice in her life, once before she was an officer and once while an RCMP member. Both times with... Uh in a scenario where uh, sexual assault was the intention, I was fortunate to get away back both times. So, you know, I'm alive to the feelings of an interview like that. One of the other big challenges, leading the RCMP in Surrey, a city where the mayor is pushing to remove the RCMP and replace it with a municipal force. Whatever mayors and councils decide, I respect that. And also, I'll support my colleagues in moving forward with that. In taking over the BC division, Commander Strachan will be leading one-third of the entire RCMP workforce. Alongside her at the ceremony, Commissioner Brenda Lucky, Canada's first permanent female RCMP commissioner. Jill Bennett, Global News. Right now, though, new developments today in the Meng Wanzhou case. Huawei's chief financial officer arrested in Vancouver last December and facing extradition to the U.S., to face accusations of violating sanctions against Iran. Today, lawyers for both sides were in court arguing how the extradition trial will proceed or whether it should at all. Aaron MacArthur has those details, including the date that's been set. Meng Wanzhou will be spending a lot of time inside her luxury West Side prison. The public learning today her extradition hearing will stretch out at least a year and a half. The final argument's not expected until September of 2020. Sabrina, did you violate the sanctions? The defense team for the Huawei CFO successfully arguing the judge first needs to hear the arguments on what Meng's lawyer calls double criminality. Basically, that what she is accused of in the United States is not a crime in Canada, and extradition shouldn't even be allowed under Canadian law. The U.S. allegations against Ms. Meng are based on violations of unilateral sanctions imposed by the United States on financial services in Iran. Huawei itself taking a much more strident tone in the affair, suggesting Canadian authorities have violated several facets of Canadian law. Upon her arrest at the airport, Ms. Meng was subjected to an unlawful search by Canadian authorities under the pretense of a routine border check. This is an abuse of Canada's extradition process and a serious violation of her rights. Experts have been saying all along the process to extradite Meng to the United States would take years. The fall 2020 timeline actually quite speedy, all things considered, according to the judge. The appeals that are bound to follow could take years more. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A ban on oil tankers off B.C.'s precious north coast is one step closer to reality after Canada's Senate rejected a report that says the ban is divisive and discriminatory. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. And Keith, this was a Senate committee report. It was still rejected. So what happens now? 
Well, it's going to go to third reading. We're talking about Bill C-48, very controversial, as you mentioned, calls for, well, it will uh, invoke a moratorium on oil tanker traffic in northern coastal waters, not down where we are, down in the Salish Sea or outside uh, the port of Vancouver. So it really doesn't affect Kinder Morgan, but it does affect uh, oil tanker traffic uh, if there's ever a pipeline built in northern BC. So that committee report last week re uh, recommended rejection of this, uh, of this bill, but today the Senate itself rejected the committee's report refusing to hear the Transportation Committee's report. Here's what happened literally just a few moments ago in the Senate. All those in favor of the motion, please rise. So now that it's, uh, the committee report's been rejected, the, the path is cleared for third reading. But the controversy doesn't stop there, Chris. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney already saying he's going to uh, launch a constitutional challenge against this law if it does become law. So uh, this battle on whether tankers can flow in B.C.'s northern waters will continue for some time yet. Sounds like it. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Well, a series of rallies across B.C. today focusing on an issue that's been on the back burner for years. Protesters say despite what many people might believe, there's still reason to worry about B.C.'s old-growth forests. Kylie Stanton reports. Save the earth! Save our home! Chanting, raising signs, and armed with megaphones. There are limits. Demonstrators rally in 17 different cities across the province, but their message is the same. To let the provincial NDP government know that they can't keep ignoring the voices of citizens that are calling for the protection of the last remaining old-growth forests. It's a day of action initiated by Sierra Club BC to highlight the plight of the province's old-growth forests. Now a patchwork of centuries-old trees that stretch up and down our coast. Environmentalists say on Vancouver Island alone, it's being logged at a rate of 30 soccer fields a day, or roughly 10,000 hectares per year. They are truly the lungs of Mother Earth. From Victoria and Langford, We're all in this together. Vancouver, This is madness. To Nanaimo, government came under pressure to live up to its election promises. We've had enough of governments asking for more time and oh we agree with you and we're uh, we have the same values and so on and so forth but if you watch what's going on in the woods they are logging hard and they are logging fast they're going on at the same rate that their predecessors were and uh, we can't have that in a statement the minister of forests doug donaldson said we've taken bold steps to protect critical habitat and old growth and we will have more initiatives to announce in the coming weeks something this mla says takes time so we had 16 years of a government that, that deregulated and tore the guts out of public interest protections and now we have an onerous task in trying to reassemble that. But these demonstrators say time is running out. It's just a matter of money and the will to do right. And soon there might not be anything left to save. If John Horgan doesn't step up and protect old growth forests, future premiers aren't going to have an opportunity to do so. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Something new for this year's Concord Pacific Dragon Boat Festival in Vancouver. It could be faster than ever. During today's announcement of the details of the competition, organizers unveiled a new lightweight boat, a year in the making from design to final product. We made it out of cedar, which is British Columbia's uh, provincial tree, but it's covered in composite materials and other high-tech solutions to make it lighter so that uh, it's easier to maintain and, and move around. This year's Dragon Boat Festival runs from June 21st through the 23rd, featuring, of course, entertainment, food, and the racing with a record 5,500 competitors registered to take part this year.
D-Day. Right when he arrived on the beach, a couple steps onto the beach and he just got shot. Recounts the tragic death of a Canadian soldier in France at ceremonies marking the 75th anniversary of D-Day, one of 359 Canadian and French young people, some from B.C. who took part in today's ceremonies, one for every fallen Canadian on D-Day. Now, 75 years ago, storming the beaches of Normandy was the beginning of a two-month battle that defined Allied victory in World War II. But Canadian soldiers paid a huge price. More than 5,000 died before that battle was over. Global's Mike Trollet spoke to some of the surviving soldiers who still have vivid memories of the war. That's a piece of shrapnel. Jim Parks thought he was dead before the battle had even begun. His landing craft had hit a mine, forcing him to scramble over the side into the deep water. The gear he needed to survive and fight with now dragging him under. I got sideswiped by another landing craft coming in, and I could see stars because I swallowed a lot of water. You know, you sort of get panicky, and I swallowed a lot of water, and I end up. Uh, <clears throat> I made way way to shore somehow. Um, he still like keeps some of that shore with him. This sand is taken from a place where you did a lot of battle, this Carpica airfield. Sand that is stained with the blood of brave Canadian soldiers. A reminder of how a now peaceful Juneau beach was transformed into hell 75 years ago. Your world is about 10 yards, eh? That's your world. That's, all, that's what you're looking at. Canada's focus was singular. Gain control of Juneau as part of the Greater Battle of Normandy, a fight that had begun days earlier in the English Channel aboard ships like HMCS Huron, the memories of which still haunt Alex Pollowin. I saw human bodies, human beings run back and forth on the ship that we had hit, torpedoed. And, and it's an ugly, ugly sight, and you cry afterwards. You don't cheer, you, you. Uh, when you see it, you think it might have been me. Canadians were everywhere on D-Day, on sea, on land, and in the air above the beach. Stocky Edwards was patrolling for German fighters. Finding none, he flew low over the dunes, desperate yet unable to warn Canadian troops approaching hidden machine gun nests. Yet at no time did he think they should turn back. What do you go for? You don't go for losing. Victory, you have to have victory. And it's life and death, eh? It was a seminal moment for Canada's military. In the most important battle of the war, Canada stood tall, regardless of individual stature. I was the smallest guy in the, in the outfit. Yet there was Norm Kirby of the North Shore Regiment, the smallest guy with the biggest gun, taking out a Tiger tank by himself. And I got it underneath. The armor was much lighter in the tank and ammo and, and uh, fuel and everything went up in one big ball of flame. Kirby never considered himself to be brave, much less a hero. That doesn't mean he wasn't both. The Canadians never wanted Juno, but this beach is serene and free today because they knew liberating Europe from the Germans was a just cause. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto.
Terrific coverage of the 75th anniversary of D-Day online. If you missed any of it, please check it out. In Health Matters Now, BC Children's Hospital is introducing some new cutting-edge technology to help surgeons operate on their smallest patients. Linda Aylesworth shows us how they're using a 3D printer to practice before operating on tiny organs. Surgery is a precise art. Preparation, key to a good outcome, particularly where pediatric heart surgery is concerned, because patient sizes and heart conditions vary greatly. There's a range of options we have to consider, and so having a really detailed understanding of what the child's heart actually looks like is very important. CT scans create the kind of 2D images most clinicians rely on to determine how a procedure should go. In this particular case, there is a crosstalk between the two ventricles of the heart. There is a hole inside the septum. But what if the surgeon could see it like this? in 3D. And if you look at basically this model, you can see the hole right here. Now at BC Children's Hospital, they can. Thanks to this, the first pediatric 3D printer in Western Canada. We're actually able to see, feel, and hold the patient's heart, understanding the size and the relationship of different structures. They can even practice the procedure on the model before performing the actual procedure on the patient. And that has a number of benefits. So we've found these virtual procedures reduce the amount of time when we're doing the procedure on the patient and they improve the outcomes because we can see what the final result will be before we've done it. BC Children's 3D technology program is new so while the focus is on heart and cardiovascular procedures now there are big plans to expand. We're taking this across all the different programs not just in uh, surgical preparation but into simulation and training and then hopefully into bioengineering and tissue engineering in the in the future years. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In other health news tonight, the federal NDP making a pre-election pitch to make prescription contraceptives free by the end of 2020. The NDP says birth control should be accessible to all women and not just those who can afford it. The New Democrats say 24% of Canadians don't have access to prescription drug coverage and have to pay out of pocket for birth control pills. There are 59,000 unintended pregnancies every year um, uh, affecting Canadian youth under the age of 24. And these unintended pregnancies have significant impacts on the health of, of uh, individuals, particularly young Canadians. <laughs> Dad's cracking up. What this four-year-old said on a plane that had his father in stitches and the passenger behind him slightly embarrassed. Coming up right after the forecast, we've already heard about some snow at the higher elevations. Let's get the rest of it now from Christy Gordon, who joins us. It's been dry, hasn't it? Incredibly dry. We got the numbers in for the tally. This is meteorological spring, which is March, April, and May, those months proper. Uh, Comox, Kelowna, and Prince George all ranked as the driest on record, with uh, Comox only 34% the normal precipitation they would see typically through that time period. Fort Nelson, Fort St. John also in the top five, and we had many areas across the province, although they didn't rank within the top five, were still well below what we t- typically would see. So it just gives you an idea of how dry it is. Now today, though, thankfully, we did see some rain in parts of the province. This, a thunderstorm in Parksville. Uh, we had development all across Vancouver Island. Looking out there now, things have settled down. I did have a risk of thunderstorms in for our region, but it looks like that uh, has passed now. So you can see things have settled down and, and things aren't as intense. 
chance. So still the possibility of showers as we had overnight, but this low is going to shift out actually quite quickly, and we have lots to look forward to starting this weekend and next week. It is going to get very hot and, yes, very dry once again. So looking at tomorrow, we are going to see still a chance of showers. So what we're dealing with is these spotty showers with that risk of thunderstorms, and that pattern will continue, especially across southern BC. And again, keep in mind, higher terrain, we're talking about snow if you're driving any of the mountain passes through the morning hours, whereas the south coast, still some instability again tomorrow. But it's just one more day. Saturday's our transition day. We're back to sunshine by the afternoon, and it's sunny and warm from there on in. Tonight's weather window is a tribute, of course, to D-Day anniversary. Thank you to Trisha for that one. And BCAA Play Here contest is giving away three play space revitalizations worth up to $100,000. Here's a look at two of the top finalists. Sayward School on Northern Vancouver Island is hoping to build a new playground that will benefit not just the students, but the whole community. The uh, nearest modern playground right now is 75 kilometers away in Campbell River. And the next one is the Mediated, Mediated Learning Academy in Coquitlam, and it is hoping to build an inclusive play space that all the children can enjoy. Uh, the school caters to special needs students, and its current playground is not accessible to many of the students. You can vote. Go for your favorite community and the one you would like to see win. Just go to our website, globalnews.ca slash contests. All right, more great candidates. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, Daryl Small and his four-year-old son Rodney were on their way home to Texas from Disney World in Florida when Rodney noticed something beside him that he thought was pretty funny. Dad grabbed his phone and viral video. Yes, the woman beside him, or behind him, has her barefoot propped up beside his chair. And as Daddy loses it, Rodney simply turns around and loudly, loudly informs the passenger about her travel etiquette faux pas. The woman quickly moved her foot and apologized to Rodney, but Daryl says he wasn't really offended. He just thought it was funny. But that is not right. No, that's not allowed. Right? It's not, not allowed. allowed. You're not allowed to even take your shoes off if you don't have socks, in my opinion. Oh, is that not right? Not at all. No, not even if you keep them in your own little space. Even if you're wearing flip-flops on the way down to... Oh, right. I didn't think yeah. about that. Well, I then I guess you are exposed. But what, what, did the feet smell? Well, he said, little Rodney See, said got, stinky feet. I don't got, know. You got to be, I mean, if you want to take your shoes off or wear your, you know, your sandals, your flip-flops, whatever. Yeah. Come you on. Be, you better you know. know. You better know. Now, whatever right. it takes to make them smell good, you got to do that. <laughs> it's like your breath. It's like anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Is it fun to be Canadian? Uh, I'm not Canadian. No? <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel's trusty sidekick Guillermo Rodriguez made his way to Toronto for the NBA Media Day, the segment airing right after the Raptors won Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Guillermo did shots of maple syrup with some of the players, asked others why Canada has an NBA team, but not Mexico. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And what a win for the Raps last night. I know, it was huge. Yeah. 
took advantage of a depleted Warriors team, but you don't have to apologize for that. I know some fans are like, oh, well, it should be an asterisk. No. Not sure. Injuries no. are part of the game. Okay, the main topic of conversation today, though, at the NBA Finals wasn't so much that Kevin Durant won't play Game 4. He hasn't played at all in the series yet, and Clay Thompson will likely play. He didn't play last night. It was all about how partial owner or how a partial owner of Golden State pushed the Raptors' Kyle Lowry during the fourth quarter of last night's game and then verbally assaulted him when Lowry went after a loose ball. The NBA fined the owner $500,000 and also banned him for a year. Now, people who sit in the expensive seats know that a player could end up in their lap. That's part of the deal. Lowry didn't even touch the Warriors' partial owner, whose name is Mark Stevens, but he reached over and shoved Lowry, then yelled something at him. Today, players on both teams said Lowry deserves big props for not retaliating. There he is right there. Uh, Obviously, an unfortunate situation all the way around. Credit Kyle the way he handled it. you know, a lot of different reactions you could have had. You know, you got to give Kyle a lot of credit for the way he handled the, the situation. Uh, he was a true professional uh, in the way he handled that. Um, you know, I'm glad I did what I did. And um, understanding that, you know, things could have been a lot different if I reacted a, a different way or if I did something or um, put my hands on him or did anything in, in that nature. Zdeno Chera, broken jaw and all, out for Game 5. Stanley Cup Final, Bruins-Blues tied two games apiece. This looks like it could be a goal, but Jordan Binnington keeps it out. Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle both taking shots here, but the puck stays out. Speaking of taking shots, Johansson takes this one from Ivan Barbashev. Whoa, that was almost a full headshot. He's okay. Uh, No scoring, second period. Zach Sanford out in front to Ryan O'Reilly. Only goal of the game so far. 1-0 for the Blues. If they win this, they could try and win the Stanley Cup at home in Game 6. The uh, BC Lions are back from their camping trip to Kamloops. Now, for some teams, training camp is really getting acquainted with old teammates, guys you've known for the last few years, familiarizing yourself with what you did the year before. But for the BC Lions this year, with all their changes in the offseason, training camp was one big getting-to-know-you gathering. Training camp is all about laying a foundation for the coming season. And with so many new pieces at key positions, this camp was especially important for the Lions to find that team togetherness. And after three weeks in Kamloops, a real bond was formed. It wasn't like a receiver group or defensive line group. It was like a great mix of like a group, you know, and that's what you want to see. And that that in itself was great. You know, learning a lot about your teammates on the field, of course, but really off the field as well. I I do think that championship teams are the ones that are the closest uh, off the field. And it was good to see how the guys interacted and got to know each other and and worked together. Certainly the two biggest personalities in Lionland this year are newcomers. Head coach Devon Claybrooks and quarterback Mike Riley. They're both magnetic leaders who command respect and their impact has been very noticeable already. You know, the way he's handled himself, um, it kind of trickles down to the rest of us. And uh, everyone's kind of felt that energy. And then with Clay Brooks, he's been a, a great combination of fun and, you know, former player. But at the same time, he's a disciplinary when he needs to be. And uh, it's been really great. 
Optimism is naturally high. The Lions aren't just hoping they'll be a contender. Guys who have won on other teams feel this team is for real, with the regular season just a week away. Nobody's going to tell the media that, oh, we're not going to be good this year, maybe next year, you know what I mean? But we, we believe it, and like you said, I've, I've been fortunate enough to win a great cup in this league just a few years ago, and um, I, I get that same feeling right now, you know, coming out of training camp, the competition. Uh, the coaching staff, you know, um, the playbook, you know, things like that, guys flying around. Mackenzie Hughes wearing the Raptors colors. He looks like, a, it's like he's from Uber Eats. He's delivering some booster juice. There's some golf balls, and here he is on the 16th. He took his uh, Kawhi Leonard jersey off for this. Par three, Canadian Open you're watching. Come on, he's Canadian. Come on! Ow! Well, he still is minus four after uh, 18 holes. Surrey's Adam Svensson. He's got to get going to keep that tour card. That would have been nice. Still is minus one after 18 holes. A lot of Canadians in this event because, of course, it is the Canadian Open. So we thought we'd show you the BC boys. Nick Taylor, Adam Hadwin, good starts. Uh, one and two shots off the lead. There you see the rest of them. Uh, Novak Djokovic, semifinal action. Alexander Rev, his opponent. Djokovic putting on another display. How many times he saves this point. And then, I've had enough of you. Down the line. He won the first set 7-5, still second set action here. Again, it doesn't seem to matter what you do, he's gonna get it. And get you with this. That pretty much says it all. This is a great between the legs shot, but again, doesn't do anything to Djokovic. control. Wasn't a bad So Djokovic goes on to the semifinals where he'll take on Dominic Team. There you go. All right. Great skill. Thanks very much, Squire. A happy update now to a story we've been following since last year. Jeremy Crowhurst, the father of three special needs children, is getting a life saving kidney transplant thanks to a global viewer who saw the story and offered to help. Katherine Urquhart reports. Getting my surgery on Monday. Jeremy Crowhurst is incredibly grateful. Six months ago, he spoke about needing to live to care for his three children, all of whom are on the autism spectrum. His kidneys were failing, the result of an autoimmune disease. My body decided that my kidneys were the enemy and it started attacking my kidneys. Following his emotional plea for a living donor, dozens of people came forward offering to help. Among them, a local woman, someone he didn't even know. It was your story. She saw your story on Global and, um, and she responded. Jeremy's wife, Melissa, has even met the donor. It's just mind-blowing to me that someone would, would give this gift to us and she, she really doesn't know what, a, what an impact it's going to have on our lives because she, she saved all five of us. Living donations from strangers are fairly unusual according to BC Transplant. It's not very common but it happens enough in our program that it makes a big difference and uh, you know living donation from strangers are incredibly valuable. 571 people are waiting for a kidney transplant. Jeremy hopes more individuals will consider being living donors. I'm gonna get to watch them grow up and I'm going to get to participate in ways that I wouldn't be able to with tubes coming out of my chest. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. 
The operation will take only a few hours, recovery several months, but this generous gift from a stranger expected to last a lifetime. How does it feel to know that a stranger is giving you a body part? It's, it's, there, there really are no words. Um, it's, uh, I don't know what you can say to somebody who makes that kind of gift that, that literally saves your life. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Abbotsford. Well, good luck, Jeremy. And yeah. thanks to the dozens of global viewers who made contact with Transplant BC to try to figure out how they could get involved. Glad we found the one that works. Last word on weather before we go. Sure. So still unsettled tomorrow and cooler, but we do transition out of it on Saturday. By the afternoon, you should be enjoying sunshine. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.